0: The song you're hearing is from Listen to the Blood, the latest album by The Colonel. Now, our story starts with a red polyester suit. After his father died, Joe Garner found an old suit of his in the attic. His dad, Charlie Garner, had played bass at the Grand Ole Opry for decades. And when Joe found this suit, well, something just clicked. He was struck with inspiration. He hadn't grown up wanting to play country music, but when he picked up this red polyester suit, He knew there was unfinished business with his dad, and that maybe he could figure it out through music. And thus, the Colonel was born. That's K-E-R-N-A-L, not like Colonel Sanders. The Colonel was made for the stage. He's all red, polyester, and he has a joyful, story-driven type of country music. On his albums, he plays with conventions and standards and updates them with modern themes, like a breakup ballad that involves scrolling through Instagram. Listen to the Blood is the third album in his trilogy written in response to his father. This week on The Reckon Interview, I'll sit down with the colonel and we'll discuss that journey, which has carried him from a small town in West Tennessee all over the country. We chat about where he finds his inspiration, we talk about the state of country music today, and we talk about whether this may be the end of the colonel and that red polyester suit. So let's go ahead and get started on this week's episode of The Wrecking Interview. All right. Welcome to The Reckon Interview. Let's start talking about your new album, which is out January 14th, Listen to the Blood, and it is the third album in this trilogy that you've built around this persona of the Colonel. Can you tell us a little bit about how the Colonel came to be?
1: Yeah, like any musical project, there's an impetus to get you, you know, sitting down and reflecting on things. And, and for me, it was after the death of my dad. I had an interest in writing and that kind of thing, but uh, it hadn't had really much of an interest in the style and, and the way you go about doing country music and the, the sort of entertainment side of it until... He died and, and it sort of felt like there was maybe a it was an opportunity for me to carry something on. So it began there as kind of a, in some ways, maybe like a grieving kind of process to try to connect to some of those kind of things that he did. And so, yeah. And, and from there, it sort of took on a life of its own. And as it became more of you know something that was me rather than me trying to imitate or, you know, approximate a style. It became a little bit more about a, a vision I had for myself. So,
0: yeah, that's kind of where, where I started the whole thing. Your dad, Charlie Garner, played bass at the Grand Ole Opry for 30 years, was it, behind Del Reeves? And so when you talk about kind of taking on that country style as, as a way of honoring his legacy, what was it like for you growing up around the Grand Ole Opry? Oh, man,
1: it was so cool getting to be a fly on the wall backstage and and seeing all that. I mean, it's such a unique experience because there never were very many people back there. So it always felt like you were in a little club or something. There were always some weird celebrities there and you never knew who was going to be there. When we were really young, we didn't go as much. But by the time we were Eight or nine, and we knew how to behave ourselves. My dad would bring us around and and uh, keep a short leash on us and, and stuff. But I have a lot of fun stories about you know just meeting different like baseball players and seeing actors and. You just never knew who was going to show up back there, you know, so it was always fun because it was kind of a little bit of a wild card, you know, kind of situation. But, man, just, uh, you know, being backstage while the Opry was going on, I mean, they kind of have these pews in the back that you kind of sit on and and watch the show from the back. And just seeing, you know, how the musicians interacted with each other and and, uh, you know, you see this great show going on out front and everything is so well oiled and and everyone's kind of shooting from the hip. Outside of the songs, I mean, because they kind of play the same songs all the time, you know, they play the hits. But just seeing how they talk to each other and and the musicians, you know, working with each other. And I have some very vivid memories, you know, of hearing Leon Rhodes and some of these like amazing uh, musicians and how loud
0: they were and how cool the, uh, the tones were and stuff. It was really cool, man. It really was. And yet you came out of that not necessarily growing up wanting to be a musician yourself. That was something you came to kind of later in life.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, and with that world, um, you know, there were a lot of really young musicians at the Opry. Uh, and I guess it's still that way. I, I don't know. I mean, but but it seemed like every time we went, there was some little six year old fiddler out there. I mean, they would always bring these kind of people out, you know, for like a novelty aspect of it. But they were all amazing, you know. But no, I, I never really uh, I never thought I want to do that. I always liked music, you know, being a young man raised in the South. If you have any proclivity to sporting at all, (laughs) you know, then you're probably doing that. And so I have a twin brother, actually. And so we just played sports and we didn't think about anything else until, you know, we were in high school, probably, you know, we were just all sports all the time. We grew up in the country. So we were just kind of running around in fields and and letting our imaginations, you know, run wild and playing sports. It was pretty simple. So I never really thought about playing music until, you know, I was uh, getting ready to go to college uh, and got interested in in the, in the guitar you know wanted to learn a couple of tunes and stuff and kind of started there but, but yeah as a kid my dad played a little bit of music but mostly we were
0: just country boys running around and throwing rocks at stuff <laughs> and then your your dad passed and I believe you went and found one of his red polyester suits in the attic and that was kind of what you built this character persona of the colonel around yeah, I like the idea of having something tactile
1: to connect with the project. And I knew about this soon, uh, been aware. There was a kind of a famous photo of the Opry when the Opry house moved over uh, to where it is now, like in the 70s, I forget what year exactly. There was kind of a famous photo, an aerial photo looking down. And my dad was part of the band that was in the shot and and he was wearing the red suit. We always like saw this photo, like at the Shoney's we went to in Nashville. And like, there was a TV guide that had the, the photo on the front that we had at the house. And you know, like, Oh, dad's on there. So we knew this thing was somewhere, but we never tried to find it or anything until he died. And then I kind of just put all the pieces together. You know, whatever happened to that suit, where is it? It took me a while to find it. Cause it was kind of like just buried off in the back of the attic. And we have an old house and the attic is a little, it's a little scary up there. You know, there's a lot of places to fall and it's a little, you know, rickety up there. But, but yeah, I pulled it out and it was just pristine like it had never been worn. I put it on and it was a little bit too small, a little bit too short, but it was good enough. And I remember bringing it home. And my next door neighbor uh, is a photographer, and uh, he still lives next door and has done a lot of my photos over the years. I brought it and I, I still remember the first photo we took with it, I said, "Hey, i put this suit on, take my picture you know with it and and it just kind of started from there and i and I started thinking a lot about country music and started getting more into songwriting and finding country songwriters, you know, John Prine and just there's so much it's such a rich tradition of songwriting. And there's so many different kinds of ways to get interested in country songs. It just kind of became something that, you know, I started putting all my creative efforts toward that at that time. You know, I thought, well, I'm a I've got a suit. I can be a different guy. What kind of guy am I going to be? What am I going to do with it? And in some ways with Dale to Dale Reeves, I mean, he was Kind of like an uncle to us growing up, you know, because he and my dad were really close and he lived in Hickman County where I grew up as well, which is why my dad moved to Hickman County from Georgia because uh, Dale had bought a house in Centerville. So my dad moved to Hickman County as well, so they could all kind of be close. So I kind of felt part of him in the project to Dell and seeing how he entertained people. And he was really funny and just a great entertainer, uh, great at impersonations. And and I'm not good at that kind of stuff, but I wanted that to be, I wanted there to be a little bit of levity to it because he always brought that levity to the project that he, or the music that he uh, always put out. And I always uh, kind of enjoyed that. And so that became part of it too, you know, just kind of
0: seeing what I saw as a kid and taking it the next step, you know. Is this more of a Garth Brooks is Chris Gaines type thing? Or is this, uh, you know, Lady Gaga is, has created the character of Lady Gaga? Like how much of you, Joe Garner, are is in the kernel and how much of it is just kind of you creating that avatar of, of the music you liked growing up?
1: There's definitely parts of myself that I, I leave out or... I don't think of it as my full self in in some ways. I'm kind of a shy person, always kind of been a little bit shy. I mean, I I can be around people and no problem, but I kind of prefer, you know, more of a solitude. And my brother's, he's totally different. It's funny. He's like life of the party, you know, just loud and, and, and stuff. But I've always been a little bit more reserved. But with the kernel thing, I mean, there's not really any room for that, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I definitely, it it helped me pull some parts of myself, you know, out that maybe weren't necessarily natural to me, but I enjoyed it because I think, you know, and I've mentioned this before, but when I first started, I I really was trying to prove something to myself that I could be, you know, assertive and uh, I could perform in an assertive manner to have people sort of captivated and, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, it's been an interesting little journey, it's not all been great because I think there are some aspects of, of that messing with that kind of interacting with yourself in a way that maybe isn't natural that you're trying to push yourself in a, in a certain direction that it can kind of, you know, get you hung up a little bit. And, and I've definitely had a, a few moments in my life, you know, or a few phases in my life where I think, it, you know, some of that performing is contributed to, you know, in a negative way. But, you know, thankfully I've not been all that successful, so it hasn't really messed with me too much, you <laughs>
0: How has it affected, you know, the way you think about your dad? Obviously, he did not see this character because it was kind of created after he passed. But, you know, your relationship with your father kind of after his passing, how's taking on this mantle, wearing his suit, uh, walking around in his clothes affected that?
1: Yeah, you know, I had written a couple of songs before he died, and I got a chance to play him like three songs one time, and he was pretty ill at the time. I thought, I got to do this, you know, because I liked writing and I thought, hey, you know, I, i I'm artistic. I've put some good stuff together here and I played him. I remember I played him these three songs. He didn't say anything. And uh, after I got done playing them, he said, well, that's abstract. (laughs) That's all that he said. You know, he, he didn't really care for what I was doing at the time. And I think, yeah, I think in some ways uh, I wanted to write something that, well, that he liked, you know, and that, that he thought, you know, would be good. So that that was definitely a part of it early on was, you know, that was a task. I wanted to try to write something that sounded like a country sound that kind of worked in the genre, I guess, if you want to put it that way. And eventually, you know, you do it a little more and you kind of find your own voice and, and what you want to say and, and make it a little more, more natural to yourself. But initially, when I started out, it, I think I because he he wasn't very approving of what I was doing. I kind of wanted to lean into that and, and say, well, you know, if he had heard this one, he would have thought well, that's pretty good.
0: He might not have liked any other stuff. <laughs> Your second album is called Light Country. I've seen where you've also kind of referred to what you do as, quote unquote, diet country. What is this genre that you're playing around in? 'cause on you know on some songs you sound country western on some songs you kind of have the rockabilly vibe going to it, you know it's it's kind of like if you were flipping through sixties and seventies country, but updated through a modern lens, yeah, you know it's crazy that we have such easy access to all music that's
1: ever kind of been made, you know, you could never learn it all. Someone might mention something to me, well, you sound just like this guy from the sixties, this obscure guy. And like, well, I've never even heard this person before, you know? And it's wild how, you know, everybody sort of, you know, there's less of the gatekeeping going on and more of like some random person somewhere could hear a playlist and hear this song that, a thousand people have heard, or something. You know, it's pretty wild. But at the time when I, when I did like country, I think I was just trying to define in some ways for myself, like where I fit, where I fit in with things. And there was just, you know, around that time, things were starting to that were sort of strongholds, or you know, things that were very well defined began began to kind of crumble a little bit, and everything kind of started becoming the same thing. And I didn't want to be someone who was saying like, well. I'm going to plug, you know, dig my heels in and, and play traditional music. And this is real country music and this kind of thing. It's kind of a silly way to go about you know, doing things. And and people have said that to me before. Well, you're a real country, you know. And I think, well, what, what is country? The more it's going on, the more you ask that question, the more it slips through your fingers, you know. I just think it went with light light country, just kind of meant like there was a lightness to it, a lightness to the definition of it. And But I have always, with actual songwriting, I have always attempted to, for those things to be from myself and not to approximate too much. It's always a combination, obviously,
0: you know. Coming up after the break, more from the Colonel about how this music project has changed him. Hey guys, if you've been listening to this interview and you wanted to jump in with ideas of your own, then you may want to sign up for The Conversation, our weekly newsletter that dives into some of the topics that we raise on the show and other issues in the South. You can sign up for it at reckonsouth.com newsletters. And it does seem like country music maybe right, right now more than any other genre has kind of become a lightning rod of people trying to define, like, what's the real sound? Is it kind of the Nashville sound? Is it the Americana sound? Is it the folk sound? You mentioned that one of your inspirations, I think, was, was John Prine and, and kind of going back and forth between, like, that Grand Ole Opry sound and the John Prine-style songwriting, which kind of reveals a, a deeper truth. When you move past this kernel project, what kind of music do you see yourself playing further down the line?
1: I don't know. I mean, I have 5,000 voice memos on my phone right now that sound like all kinds of stuff. I mean, you know, I have fixed myself in this project, you know, for, for the last several years. And I did kind of want to put a, an end to it to give myself the opportunity to not just be stuck you know and so i am interested in doing other things you know and it's such a difficult thing to put out music and to try to tour and especially not even mentioning with covid stuff but even before that i mean it it's really easy to get burned out, you know, on the whole process of it. And because, it, you know, it's like anything else that you do, uh, it's there's work involved and it's uh, it takes time and it's it takes a lot of your attention. It's a strugglesome thing uh, at times. And so, you know, as far as the business side of it, I, I, I don't know. I think I might just enjoy, you know, putting out some records and just kind of letting them be what they are and and not try to take it too, too much past that. I mean, I've always just tried to enjoy myself with the music, too. I've always wanted to write stuff that was enjoyable to play live with the band and just creating that bubble with the band to say, Hey, if we all like this and we're all having fun, you know, a thousand people could be out there, 10 people could be out there and it's still going to work. It's still going to come through and it's still going to be satisfying. You know, I don't know what's next. Obviously I hope the record, I hope people like it and you know, it can kind of propel, you know, forward what we've been doing, you know, so up to now, but you just never know. But I still love music, obviously, no matter what happens. I love playing piano. I just love, cause I don't really know what I'm doing. I never have. I enjoy my relationship to my piano and I could do that forever. So I don't
0: know. I don't know what's next. We'll see. You have a song, I guess, that almost seems like it's addressing influencer culture. Could, you know, you're talking about the ranting on Facebook thing. You Do You is kind of about, you know, the, the logical conclusion of a, of a person who is just kind of following their own bliss, their own journey of self-actualization, and winds up being kind of a, a, a jerk in the process. What sparked that song?
1: I, what sparked it was me thinking about myself you know kind of the the things that we do to assert ourselves and assert our our personal identity and you know the the sacrifices that we make of all those around us in order to make that happen i mean a lot of us you know fall into that even with our work i mean we all know the person that shows up to the party and they don't talk about anything, but how many, you know, houses they closed on, you know, this month. And it's like, oh, here comes Ricky again, you know, and he's going to tell us how much money he's made. And we all do kind of have that tendency or not all, but a lot of us do have a tendency to, to get a little bit, especially, you know, as you go through your thirties and it's like, you're in your twenties and you're just having fun and everyone thinks, you know, it's so great, you know, that you're, Doing whatever you're doing. And then you get to your 30s. And, uh, you know, but, um, you know, so that song was about me really starting this project, you know, and trying to say, look at me, I'm out here. I wanted to write something for myself to say, now watch out. If you get too far into this and you, you think too much about yourself, one day, somebody's going to pick up something in a bar and crack you across across the head with it. And so that was kind of the start of the song. You know, I thought, well, I want to write a song about myself doing, you know, doing what I'm doing and going all over and playing music. And then, you know, I say something weird to, to a guy and he, he cracks me across the face. Then I go into contemplation mode, you know, stand on the docks and fishing for premonitions, you know, about, you know, where'd I go wrong and how, how do I, you know, correct this? And, and, uh, but yeah, but, but yeah, in that song, you know, I represent I think a wider uh, tendency to focus just on yourself. And especially when you have your phone and you really think you know, everyone's a pop star now, it's pretty crazy
0: kind of picturing the album cover right now and it's you in your red suit kind of face down on the ground. Is that connected to that? To the idea that you've been popped in the face? What were you is this about you kind of getting rid of the uh burying the the polyester suit? What what's the album art doing? It's all those things. And with
1: the album title Listening to the blood, you know, rather than listening to Social media, or listening to the voices in your head—you know—it's like, what does it mean to listen to your your blood and and the more essential parts of yourself, and instead of the politicized parts and the parts that people try to manipulate you with, and with all our media and things like that—you know—is there an essential part of myself that I can listen to that I should be listening to that informs the way that I carry on my life? So it's me asking that question and and really hoping that. I can by face down in the blood with the blood in my ears, listening to that blood and what's the blood telling me. I got that line from uh, another person that, it's become really difficult to talk about Woody Allen and one of his films, shadows and fog where John Cusack was, he kind of makes a monologue about wanting to kill himself and, and wanted to shoot himself in, in, in his head where all the mind, uh, all the thoughts are troubling him. And then uh, he said he, he kind of paused when he wanted to kill himself and he, and he heard his heartbeat and he said, and he heard his blood and he said, so I listen to my blood. And I, that, when I heard that line, I, you know, several years ago when I watched that movie, I, it just immediately, was something that I resonated with me, kind of carried it with me for a while, and and so when it came time for this album, that was that was kind of the concept that I leaned in, into. And the songs to me are kind of mile markers, you know, kind of like you to you, ways to maybe correct myself, and and uh, and I think by doing that, I mean my hope is that other people can feel that, you know, again, but to the iceberg thing, uh, even if they don't, if they see a different narrative in, in the song or whatever, uh, I hope that there's a transmission of that feeling because uh, really at the end of the day, you know, I, I, I want to do better. I don't want to get to a point where I think I'm doing great and I'm, you know, I find out that
0: I'm not, <laughs> you know, that's a scary, really scary place to be. It sounds like after sitting with this album for two or three years and the way that the world has kind of changed in the last two or three years, you, you may be thinking about this music differently. So, I mean, what, what, what do you, what, what goes through your mind now when you're playing some of these songs that maybe wasn't going through your mind when you were writing some of these songs? Yeah. I mean, it makes me think about certain periods in my life
1: over the last few years, like with a song like Pistol in the Pillow, kind of seeing more people come forward and saying, I've had problems with anxiety and like all these kind of things. I mean, I never had any problems like that. Like growing up, really. I wrote that song because you know that was something that I dealt with, too. A few years ago, locking every lock up twice is a line that song. And I, there was a time where I realized that I was checking the locks on my doors several times before I went to bed. And at one point, it just dawned on me, like, why am I doing this? You know, like, what am I afraid of? You know, what what's going on here? And you know, eventually it culminated, and and so that song, you know, is an example of looking back and, and saying like, wow, yeah, I do remember what it felt like in that period, you know, to be dealing with that. And but that's the nice thing about songs; it's it's kind of like a little point in history. And you put a little post it note there, and then you've got it, and you can pull it back out and say, well, I might not be dealing with anxiety right now, but if someone else says that they are, I know a little more how to deal with that because you know, something like that, you know, I've, I heard so many times over the years, um, so-and-so has got anxiety issues. And I, and I used to think, oh, come on, you know, it can't be that bad. Like you're fine. Um, You know, you've got all this, these things going for you and how short-sighted we can be with each other with, with things like that. You know, I think once the record is out and people start, saying hey we like this or we hate this or you're this is you know pastiche or, or whatever i'll start maybe reflecting on those things a little bit more i'm kind of just ready to get it out and, and see if people like some of the songs and, and how they relate to them and wh- what they think about it and and stuff because you, you kind of agonize over writing these songs as a songwriter and you know when you're done and you can't change it anymore and at that point it's just kind of got a life of its own but yeah i think i'll reflect on on that more in, 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 yeah, in five or six months or something you know
0: you know, it's fun the way that you will take kind of these standard styles and formulas like I'm thinking of on light country. You have what feels like a kind of traditional country western song, a, a Marty Robbins type song, but it's about the old Taco Bell. And on this one, you've got the fight song, which feels a lot like, you know, those kind of country breakup standards that you heard a lot in the 60s and 70s and 80s. But you're referencing Instagram and, and, go, and going to therapists and stuff like that. It's not satire. It's not parody, but it's certainly, you're having fun with it. Talk about that approach to your music.
1: Well, with that song, it's, it's funny. It's like you hear, you would readily hear an Instagram reference in so many hip hop songs. And it's like, there's such a easy, you know, avenue into that. But it's such a weird thing. You know, when I was writing that song, I'm like, I want to say something about, you know, this specific thing and just being like yeah let's just do it (laughs) you know just just talk about it but yeah I mean I I always want to entertain myself really when I'm trying to write a song one of my main metrics is is are you going to be despicably bored having to sing this you know five years from now and that's kind of kind of a measuring rod for me when i'm writing if i'm going to be interested in it then that kind of helps me move on and if i get to a point in a song and i and i don't know how to navigate that to make it something that's at least interesting to me then i kind of have to abandon it and sometimes I, i've done that and a couple of years later come back to you know it's like oh i know how to solve that now uh, or i know where i can take this now so so yeah i mean i'll always try to you know entertain myself
0: <laughs> when, when i'm writing this album uh, is the last of a trilogy. And my understanding is you were planning to to bury your dad's red suit and, in your mom's hometown. Is, is, is that the case?
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, when I started this project, I really wanted to be anonymous. I wanted to go like full Orville Peck. And I just, I think when you don't, when you don't really start to pop off, you kind of, you're just a guy in a small town. And it's like kind of weird and no one's going to listen to it. So I, I kind of started, you know, letting things out a little bit more. That's why I called myself a silly name. Um, you know, I didn't I didn't want to show my face and, and and stuff. And I wanted a lot of the a lot of these things to be anonymous too, because it's a it's there's a lot of personal things kind of baked in to this project that a lot of things that, you know, I won't talk about some of those things have, have kind of eked out and and which is fine. But, yeah, that's the plan. It's kind of a, are you remember with psycho magic?
0: I am not. Tell me about psycho magic.
1: <laughs> Alejandro Jorodowski or Horodowski. He's a filmmaker. He, he kind of coined this, this thing, uh, psycho magic. And it's kind of a, a combination of shamanism and psychoanalytic practice, but he has a series. There's a book uh, called psycho magic. And there's a, you know, it's like a list of all these different problems. And so you, maybe you have, you know, trouble relating to your mother or something, and he's got a, well, here's a task. You go do this and go do that. So it's kind of a psycho magic act to bury the suit and to bury certain things. So, so yeah, that, that's my plan uh, this spring, actually getting, coming in hot to do that. But yeah, it's just kind of a fun little side thing that, I think one reason I didn't want to talk about it too much because uh, my mom would probably be mad if she found out I very, this cool old suit, but you know, that's life, man.
0: You know? <laughs> well, so, I mean, in terms of the psychomagic ramifications, I won't make you go into anything you don't want to talk about, but how have you changed through this process? You know, how, how have you changed over the course of making these three albums, taking on that suit that you found in the attic uh, and what will it mean to you to, to say goodbye to it this spring? I don't know. I think when I started, I assumed that I, you know, would have
1: accomplished more in myself, not uh, just, you know, I would have done better. But I don't know. I I really don't. I'm really not sure. Sometimes I, I wonder if I've if it's helped me at all. I started the project really wanting to console myself and to help myself. And by doing that, I thought maybe others could be helped you know, in the process, not just through enjoying music, but through, you know, maybe, you know, some of the ways that I, you know, did did things lyrically, but I don't know. I mean, in some ways, maybe I've not done as well as I could have, but I don't know. That's a good question. It's a tough question because it's, it's so hard sometimes to know those things about yourself, uh, to know there's a marked difference between, you know,
0: this period and this period. As somebody who wasn't necessarily wanting to be a touring musician, but grew up around country music, grew up, you know, in the country in Tennessee. How has your understanding and relationship to the South changed as you've got, dove into this music and, and toured throughout the South? Yeah, man. And really,
1: that's a honestly a big part of the project too, is just giving myself away to because I've toured a lot on base with other other acts as well and I've spent a lot of time on the road over the last eight or ten years and have loved that and that was a big uh, a big part of it for me is just going and seeing what other places are like seeing what people talk about you know in these weird taverns and, and stuff all over the country and all over the world how people interact with each other and it really is true you know that when you start to travel a little bit more you you start to see more similarities and differences and and when you hole up and you don't go anywhere as as a lot of people in the south you know have have attempted to do you kind of you don't have as broad of a, a perspective on things and and uh, there're good and bad things to that but traveling has opened my eyes a lot to you know really how we should attempt to work together on things. And, you know, it's just that it's that classic mob mentality versus a one-on-one interaction. You know, if you ever talk to someone face-to-face like the guy that does story core, I don't know if you've heard of that, where, you know, that face-to-face interaction with people that are not from the same political background or or religious background, whatever, it's fascinating. I mean, and it's a very human thing to, to have um, to connect like this, you know, but once, you know, we start broadening that and and we, we turn it into this, this category of uh, thinking, you know, versus our category of thinking, it starts to get a little hairy. And and I've loved getting to travel and and talk to a lot of different kinds of people, but the, the South in particular, you know, there, there's a, a friend of mine, Gregory Thornberry, who he used to say this of, of Christians, you know, in the South, but it can kind of be uh, pointed at the South too, in some ways that anything you can do, we can do later, you know, it's like anything you can do, we uh, we, you know, I can do better. He's like, anything you can do, we can just do later, you know, and and it's so true sometimes, you know, when you look at, you know, it's like, all right, y'all, don't you see, can't you use your little noodle enough to imagine what it would have been like if you were a person of color, you know, growing up, you know, in this era or whatever. I mean, and so many people are like, nope, (laughs) I don't have that. I don't, uh, I'm not doing that because you're trying to pull a wool over my eyes or something. And yeah, it it gives you a little bit more confidence to come back and speak, speak more pointedly when when you realize that uh,
0: people are more similar than, than they are different, but I don't know. As we wrap up, are there, you know, three artists that you wish were getting more attention right now than are other than yourself, of course. (laughs) Well, uh, man, the first person that comes to mind is Tristan. If you're familiar
1: with Tristan's music, she's a Nashville artist who I've been a huge fan of for like a decade. And uh, she played with Jenny Lewis for a while, but uh, she's just amazing uh, in every way. Uh, so she's the first person that that I think of. Really love Teddy and the Rough Riders. They're, they're playing at our release show in Nashville this weekend. And, you know, kind of just recently gotten into them, but they're awesome. Let's see. There's another guy named Chris Acker, uh, who's a New Orleans guy, who's a great songwriter. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of him, but he's another one that um, I love what he does. And, he, and he's uh, he's still a young buck. And, and I'm just curious to see how he's going to carry on. But, but I love the way he writes and and, uh, and does his thing. So, yeah, those those are the first three that
0: pop into my head. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, speak with us. And we look forward to seeing what you do next. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. And that's our show, folks. Thank you to The Colonel for making time to speak with us this week. You can find his latest album, Listen to the Blood, from Single Lock Records, wherever you get your music. And all the songs on today's show were from that album. The Reckon Interview is executive produced and hosted by me, John Hammontree. It's edited by Kanika Cotrington and the great team over at Edit Audio. If you're liking our show, help us out by leaving us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcast. And until next time, thanks for reckoning with me.